Well, when I was in high school, I heard about Rembrandt's famous painting, The Raising of the Cross, and I wanted to go see it. I wanted to see it, and I finally got my chance. You see, when I was in college, I studied in Salzburg, Austria, and it was right around the corner, uh, figuratively speaking, from Munich, where the painting is held. And I would pass to Munich often that year when I was studying in Austria, and so on one of those trips, I particularly stopped and I went to the old museum. I figured out on the map how to get there. I took the bus system across town. I found where the old music, the old art museum was. I went into the old art museum. I asked, where's the Rembrandt room uh, in five different ways because my German was pretty bad. And they finally showed me where the room, where Rembrandt's paintings were. I went and I saw the raising of the cross and I stared at it for some time and then I walked out, got back on the train, and went home. I'm sure people thought, why in the world is he leaving so soon? He just came in. But you see, I went in for one purpose, and I got my purpose accomplished. I was satisfied. I tell that story because I think that that's actually a rare experience, not seeing a Rembrandt painting, though that is, but actually to be at a place in life or where you experience something and you say, you know what, that's enough. I'm satisfied. It's like those people when you watch them leaving the concert during the opening act and they just wanted to hear one song. They paid all the money and they were fine paying the money for the one song and they walked out and they thought, I'm content. I am in a rich place. If this ended now, I would be happy. You know, it's a rare experience because it, it doesn't happen a lot and we don't experience a lot, it a lot, and not just in the little things in life, but what about in life in general? I mean, could we say, if life ended tomorrow, I'd be a happy man. I'd be a happy woman. I, 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 it would be enough. I would be okay. You know, one of the questions that I think 2020 has forced us to ask is, am I ready to die? If I were to die today, tomorrow, could I say, I'm contented. My life is rich. I am happy. I've experienced enough. I have done enough. Could we say that? Or would it be more likely that we would say in the words of the famous U2 song, I still haven't found what I'm looking for? In Luke chapter 2, we meet a man who has found what he is looking for. Luke chapter 2, 29, we meet a man named Simeon, and he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. It's a very famous scene that is known throughout the church as the nuke dimittis. It means now depart from the Latin, from Simeon saying, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Rembrandt actually has a painting of this scene as well. See, Simeon comes to the place where he says, if I died right now, 
my life would be enough. I'm a contented man. What about you? Could you say that? You know, a new strain of COVID-19 has touched down in California this week. I was a little bummed about that because it touched down in Colorado first. And we're supposed to be the first in everything. We're supposed to be on the cutting end of fashion trends. We're supposed to be on the cutting edge of technology. We're also be, supposed to be on the cutting edge of social ills. So I'm a little jealous, but it's here. And it's supposedly 70% more, 70% more contagious than the first or the other strains. It's like the Grim Reaper is stalking us. You say, well, wait, Kyle, the vaccine's out. People are getting vaccinated, and so it's going to be okay. Yes, that's true. I mean, many of you have been vaccinated, and that has come out. But listen to me. If you think that the vaccine is going to enable you to face death in peace, you are sorely mistaken. The vaccine may enable you to face life with some more peace. To go to the grocery store with some more peace. It may enable you to go to a birthday party with some more peace or a church service with some more peace. It may enable you to go to any number of things and face life with some more peace. But one thing it will not enable you to do is face death with more peace. Because if it's not COVID-19, it's going to be cancer. And if it's not cancer, it's going to be a clogged artery. So death's coming. Are you ready to face it? Can you say what Simeon said? Can you say, now you can let your servant part, depart in peace? You know, Simeon wasn't always like that. In fact, he wasn't like that that morning. When he walked into the temple that day, he walked in a restless man. He walked in a man looking who hadn't found what he was looking for. He was disquieted, he was restless, he was discontent. But when he walked out that day, he was content, he was quiet, and he was at peace. And he was ready to face death in peace. So what happened to Simeon that day in the temple that allowed him to say, Nuke Demetrius? And how could we say it? How could we say it? Well, I think to answer that question, we actually need to start before he gets to the temple. Because you see, the text tells us that when Simeon went to the temple that day, he went, verse 27, led by the Holy Spirit. Because Simeon was a man who was, the text says in verse 25, full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was upon him. You see, Simeon was a man who was waiting, verse 25, for the consolation of Israel. That is, he's the kind of guy who got up every morning and prayed and sought God and he was looking to God to answer his restlessness. Are you? Because as I was thinking about this and reflecting on it, I have to admit, we can be restless without being people who search for an answer. A lot of us are restless. A lot of us are disquieted. We're disquieting our souls. And the only thing that we want to do is, distra is detra uh, distract ourselves from it. But Simeon, he was actually searching. 
looking, waiting for the consolation of Israel? Are you looking, waiting for an answer? For your restless heart to be stilled? Simeon was a man who the Holy Spirit was upon and who was led by the Holy Spirit. You see, that means that that Simeon was dependent upon God and attentive to God's Spirit in his life. Are you? Because the only way I think that we're going to get this answer and we're going to feel God touch our restless souls and give us the rest that we need is if we rely on Him and look to Him and are sensitive to God. That day, Simeon was sensitive to God and the Holy Spirit led him into the temple. And when he got there, I'm sure it wasn't what he expected. It probably looked like a normal day in the temple, the comings and goings of people throughout the temple courtyard. And then he saw a couple, a poor couple with a little baby. And he runs over to Joseph and Mary. And it says that in verse 28... He took the baby up in his arms. He he reached out and grabbed Jesus out of Mary's arms. Could you imagine? And then he began to praise God and sing verse 30. Now dismiss your servant in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation. And I bet that wasn't what he expected God's salvation to look like. Simeon had been told that he would not taste death, that he would not see death until he saw the Lord's Christ, his anointed one. He had been told that he would see God's salvation, and he had been waiting for God's salvation, the consolation of Israel. And I wonder, as he dreamed of it in his mind's eye, as he sat, as he laid in bed at night, looking up at the ceiling and thinking, what is it going to be like? I wonder if this is what he thought. A weak little baby in the midst of a poor family. So poor that when they offered the offering of purification, they gave two turtle doves instead of a ram because they weren't rich enough to give the normal offering. If God were to reveal his salvation to you, If God were to reveal the thing that would calm your anxious heart, would you notice it? What if it didn't look like what you expect it to look like? What if it didn't look grand and glorious? What if it what if it looked like a worn out Bible? What if it looked like stale crackers in the midst of the assembly of God's people? What if it looked like the awkward prayers of a community group trying to point one another to follow Jesus? What if that's what it looked like? God's salvation often looks very different than what we expect, but if we are attentive, it will still our souls. 
What was it about this baby that put a restless man at rest, not just for a moment, but for life? Well, I think there are two things in the text that are often overlooked that give us a, a hint as to why. The first is this, is the context in which Joseph and Mary are coming to the temple. Verse 22 says that when the time had come for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. In other words, Mary and Joseph had been waiting as they, uh, as they were in a time of impurity, and they were coming to the temple to offer an offering to the Lord. And this was also uh, an offering of Jesus to the Lord. And they were doing so at the end of a time of impurity. Now, what Luke is talking about is these old ancient impurity laws in the Old Testament that talked about, like, if you got, you know, um, if you were in the midst of childbirth and experienced that, that you became impure. Now we think, what does this have to do with that stuff is so weird and outdated and doesn't make any sense. I mean, these laws that say that if you come into contact with someone or something that is impure and you think that you might be impure, you then have to isolate yourself for up now seven to 14 days. And then at the end of that time, you have to go to a specialist like a priest or the law that tells you whether or not you are pure. You know, we, we, we can't relate to this at all. At least before March, we couldn't. But now we can. And what has all this quarantining done to our psyches? Well, here's what it's done. I mean, when, when you had a family member who heard that they were at a party with somebody else who happened to be sick, then... They had to stop doing what they were doing. Then you had to stop doing what you're doing. Then you had to call the people that you were talking to and they had to stop doing what you're doing. And then you started to see how much the chain reaction happened and how this thing is like touching everything and is everywhere. And it's like the impurity, the disease is all around us and everywhere. And we're vulnerable to it all the time. You know? Do you know what it did to Israel? The people of Israel, when they had to follow the purity laws, which said that if you were an Israelite, then you were in a state of purity. But in order to come into the presence of God, you had to be made holy. But you could easily be contaminated and go to the place of impurity. And if you went to the place of impurity, like per se, you know, you had a child then you would have to separate yourself and isolate yourself and quarantine yourself. Do you know what this did to their psyche? It showed them that everything is corrupt. And that the consequences of sin touch everything. And we're all vulnerable to it all the time. And everything, everything in the world must be prepared for the holy presence of God. And here's what's so radical about this text. Luke says that they were waiting for their time of impurity. Who is there? Well, Mary, clearly, because, you know, if a mother gives birth, she is impure. We're not sure why, but we're probably, it's probably because of the loss of blood. 
And if you lose so much blood, things that make you impure are things that actually resemble or bring you close to death. Like childbirth in the ancient world. And God is the author and source of life and the opposite of death. And so, maybe that's why. We're not sure, but we do know that, that she was impure and those who were in her presence. Meaning Joseph and meaning Jesus. Jesus was born into the midst of our corrupted, sinful, and impure world. And that's what I think Simeon saw. Because here's what we see throughout the rest of the book of Luke. You see, what's supposed to happen is every time in pure person comes into contact with something impure, they actually contract the impurity. They become defiled and impure themselves. But Jesus, he was coming into contact with impurity all around. And he would go and he would touch lepers, touch those close to death. And do you know what happened? He didn't become impure. They became pure. The stream was reversed. Over and over again, Jesus eats with impure people. Jesus touches impure things. And it's not that he becomes impure, it's that they become pure. And what Simeon saw is finally we have something, someone who is powerfuler than the forces of death and can overcome them. And so when Simeon holds the child, he says, Now let your servant depart in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Not your potential salvation, not your coming salvation, but your salvation. Because there, when Jesus took on the likeness of our sinful flesh, when Jesus was born into the environment of the old Adam, there and then, he introduced a power into this world to overcome the forces of death. That would be climatically seen when after three days he rose from the dead. So here's what this means. For you theological types, here's what it means. The atonement starts in Bethlehem. As soon as the Son of God takes on flesh, he starts undoing the power of sin. And he ultimately does it at the resurrection. Atonement is not just Good Friday. Atonement is incarnation and the whole way through. So that's a little heavy, Kyle. That was for the theological types. What about for the practical types? For the practical types, here's what it means. When Jesus Christ took on our flesh and our blood, he overcame the forces of death. And for all of us who are united to him in his flesh, for all of us who eat his flesh and drink his blood and are united with him, guess what? Death cannot hold you. Because you, you are attached to a force that is stronger than death. And Simeon knew it, and Simeon saw it, and so he says, come on, death. I can face you in peace. Now you are letting your servant depart in peace. 
There's a second thing, though, in this text that I think Simeon saw. A thing that gives us an indication of why he was at rest. And it's verse 21. In verse 21, we are told that the child's name would be Jesus, a derivative of Joshua, which means Yahweh saves. And then it says that he is circumcised. Now, you say, why was Jesus circumcised? Well, if you read the commentators, they will say, well, this is to show that Jesus' parents fulfilled the law and that he was under the law and, uh, and that they were obedient, good Jews. And that's all true. But why circumcision in particular? And why draw that out? What did circumcision mean? Circumcision meant two things. When you were circumcised, it was a sign of God's covenant. Of his covenant that you could claim that God was your God. And that he and you could call him your God. But it wasn't just a claim that this God was your God and that he was for you and that he blessed you. It was also God's claim on you. That you are his people. That you are one of his persons. But that also means that you have to fulfill the obligations of his covenant. And you have to live in holiness before him and in righteousness. And if you break the covenant, guess what happens? The same thing that happens to the foreskin. You are cut off. Cut off from the people of God. Cut off from God himself. Cut off from life. That's what circumcision was about. Colossians calls Jesus' crucifixion a circumcision. It says that we were circumcised in that circumcision. Cut off. You see what? What circumcision was pointing to was that one who lived in the likeness of sinful flesh and became sin for us, that he would ultimately have to undergo the covenant curse, that he would be cut off. And he was on the cross. Galatians 3.13 says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by, by becoming a curse for us. For as it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. In other words, Jesus' circumcision was ultimately fulfilled when he died on the cross and he underwent the covenant curse that is due to impure, sinful people. And that's what brought Simeon peace. That's why he could face death and peace, because this child had become a curse for him. He had endured the covenant curse for him. And so when he went to lay his head on his pillow that night, it was no condemnation, no alienation, only justification and life and welcome. And not just for Simeon, but for Israel. And not just for Israel, but for all. Did you hear it? Christ became a curse for us, Paul says, as a Jew. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessings of Abraham might even come to the Gentiles. And Simeon got it as well. 
Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, verse 29, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. So that means that this salvation, this consolation, this comfort, the one who overcomes the powers of death, the one who takes on covenant curse for us and for our salvation. That he's not just for Simeon and he's not just for Israel, but for all who will believe. See, this means that you, like Simeon, can lay your head on your pillow tonight and say, Nuke Dementis. Now let your servant depart in peace. And that's true whether or not you wake up the next morning. Because this stills your restless heart not only for death, but also for life. This allows you to say, Nuke Dementis. At every deadline. This allows you to say Nuke Dimittis at every report card, at every quarterly review, every time you go to marriage counseling, Nuke Dimittis, every time you feel that you are not enough or have not done enough, it says, Be still and rest. Everything that needs to be done is already done. And everything you accomplish today is bonus. Because salvation has come. John Coltrane was a giant, recognized as a jazz giant by 1950. He had tons of success, which was great, but it never satisfied him. In the early 50s, he was a restless man, and his life was spinning out of control. He had a drug, uh, drug overdose that nearly killed him in San Francisco in the early 50s, but that encounter with drugs led to another counter, encounter, an encounter with God's grace. And he became a Christian. His response to that grace is his final album called A Love Supreme. If you want to read about that, his own testimony to God's grace, you can get the album and read it in the liner notes. He actually died only a few years after releasing A Love Supreme. He released it in like 1964, 1965, and he was dead by 1967. On one of the nights, uh, a story is told of him playing as one of the final performances of A Love Supreme. And he was superb that night. And when he got to the end of the set, and he put down the saxophone, and he's about to walk off the stage, you know what he said? Nuke the menace.
See, Coltrane, he saw what Simeon saw. And you can too. Oh, that God will give us the grace to. Amen.